This morning is going to be quite a bit different in that we're going to talk about the 2020 annual uh, meeting for the Southern Baptist churches that uh, Kathy and I had a chance to go to uh, earlier in June. And uh, it's, I don't want this whole service to be just focused on that. And so we're going to look at a difficult issue because it was, took such a front stage in the meeting. Uh, and that is uh, uh, the sexual abuse report, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning and kind of look at how Sardis would handle that uh, if something ever, which we hope would never happen, uh, would, would happen here. But right now, um, I would like to just, in our time, just give you kind of a quick update. First, thank you for sending us. We learned a lot about how the SBC functions because uh, I'm not born, raised, and bred Southern Baptist like Adam is. All right, so I'm still learning. Uh, we uh, learned a lot about how the SBC functions and a chance to become more informed on how things are going on the SBC, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And I became even more convinced that Kathy and I don't want anything to do with living in Southern California. Uh, that was completely uh, solidified in our minds, so you don't ever have to worry about losing us to Southern California because it's just not going to happen. Wow, I can't say that because as soon as I say it's not going to happen, it's like... Oh, we got to be careful. I take that back. All right. And so to begin with today, uh, this morning, I'd like to ask the question, why did we go this year? I've been here for 13 years. And as far as I know, this is the first time that anybody in this church in that 13 years has gone to the annual uh, SBC conference. Why did we pick this year? Well, two main reasons. First of all, there is an annual meeting. That's why it's called annual every year. Pastor Adam started all this when he had a class on Southern Baptists. What is a Southern Baptist? How are they organized? What is some of their theology? All that kind of stuff he went over because we are a Southern Baptist church and we need to understand what that means when there are so many other things out there. It doesn't mean that we're the only really, really, really good Christians. It doesn't mean that we follow everything exactly right. It just, that's who we associate with. And, um, as he was going through that, part of that discussion, from what I understand, I wasn't in that class, was the organization of the Southern Baptists and how their annual meeting fits into that organization. And during the class, the uh, question similar to this was asked, since we are Southern Baptists, isn't it part of our responsibility to go to the annual meeting? And of course, the answer is what to that? Yeah, we should. We should as part of our responsibility. And the discussion ended with that, yes, as an SBC church, we had the responsibility to attend the meeting, and someone in the class thought it was really important to send someone to this year's meeting and start all of that. And that is, it is a start, because we are hoping uh, that we go every year if God will provide the funds and everything like that, because it is part of our responsibility. So that's the first reason why we went this year, is because we're growing, and I'm growing as a pastor, and understanding how important that is. Second... The Southern Baptist Convention right now is going through some really, really, really difficult times. There is a significant disagreement on things, important things like critical race theory, women in the pastorate, and how to handle sexual abuse, the sexual abuse report that recently came out, amongst other things. There was a whole list of things that we went through. By the way, uh, if uh, we do want more people to go to the, to the conference, but I'm not going to um, fill your minds with this. This is just a really... It was a fun trip, but it was like for two days, it was like sitting in a meeting, a business meeting from seven o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night. 
Okay, and I, that's just everybody's excited about sitting in a business meeting, right? There was some good worship in that time, but it is, there is a lot of stuff discussed, and it has a lot to do with who we are as Southern Baptists. And uh, the, there, there is uh, also discussion about the poor leadership in the SBC at the national level and the moving away from strong biblical teaching. All those things were brought up. And as you expect, these things have caused a lot of really, really hard discussions in SBT churches, and, uh, which is a good thing. And Pastor Adam and I have talked about these things quite a bit. The problem is talking about issues in the SBC and not making the sacrifices of time and money to be part of the solution at the annual meeting is just being critical. It's not being wise. And so that's another reason why we decided to go. We have discussed, uh, we uh, and other people, we've, I've discussed it with others here at the church, uh, there are difficult things in this SBC. We need to be aware of them, and it's not really not fair to the SBC or uh, for us to be critical about what's going on and not have our voice be heard at the annual meeting. That's, that's just, you know, talking behind people's backs. And so we, that's uh, the second reason why we went this year, and we're hoping that this is going to, uh, like I said, be an annual thing. Uh, I want you to know that Kathy and I, just because we're pastor and wife, uh, will not be the only ones going in the future as we continue to take our responsibility uh, to attend these annual meetings seriously. Other members of Sardis can go and be our voice. We want that to happen. We, want, we don't want to be the only ones, the, the depository of Southern Baptist life. We want every, uh, other people, other members to have the opportunity to go. So if you want to go, make sure you let me know uh, and... Uh, we will uh, see how everything works out, and we don't have to just take two people. Uh, this church is allowed to send, if I remember right, five or six messengers uh, to uh, the SBC, and messenger is the person who gets to vote and, and, and be able to have voices and stuff like that. And so if you're interested in going, make sure you let me know. Next year, it's down in New Orleans. It's not that long trip to California, and so it uh, may fit into your uh, life to, to attend. And it will be about two days, about four days out of your week by the time you do travel and everything. So there are a lot of topics, and I'm only going to briefly, very briefly share a couple. The one that I'm going to spend the most time on is because you're going to hear about it. It has been in national news. Uh, Kathy and I were in the meeting, and we left the meeting, all right? We walked. It was probably, what, maybe a 10-minute walk? from where we, uh, the meeting was held to where we stayed. We got up into the room and Kathy flipped up her iPad. And what did you see, Kathy? And, and national news, Southern Baptists voted this way on the sexual abuse issue. Before we ever got out of the meeting in 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the most, it was already on CNN, ABC, it is all over the place. And it is still being written about. Uh, there are still a lot of publications you uh, can go and be discerning. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff about it on the web. You can go and, and read some stuff if you want more information about that, because I'm not going to be able to even touch all of what was going on over the last few years. And so that we're going to look at the sexual abuse in the SBC. What, what is going on? Because you're going to hear about it. Over the last few years, there has been more and more accusations that Southern Baptists were covering up sexual abuse within its leadership, its national leadership, and its churches. And last year, uh, in the 2021 20, uh, meeting, a sexual abuse task force was created to look at these accusations. An outside agency was hired to investigate the accusations and report their findings back before this year's meeting. A 300-page report was released 
about a month before. If you want that report, I have all 300 pages. I will send it to you digitally. I am not going to print it for you, all right? But if you want to read that report and all of its stuff, uh, it's, it's a normal report. It's nothing really exciting, but it is sad in, in many places about what they found. Uh, the report did show that sexual abuse had occurred periodically in the SBC over the last 20 years, and uh, that the SBC and, church, and some of the churches had not always handled it correctly. The report contained a number of recommendations on what the SBC should do to protect its members uh, from sexual abuse. And as you can imagine, this report became the major issue at this conference, at this uh, meeting, by, by far. It, it just, you walked in, people were talking about it. You sat down, a lot of discussion. You walked out, people were talking about this report. And hearts were broken because of the abuse that had happened. And there was much talk about what the SBC should do right now. How do, does the SBC as a national organization, how do we handle this? One of the big problems about that is the SBC is not like other denominations. Because the Southern Baptist Convention has no authority over churches. We, as a Southern Baptist church, are autonomous. We are not controlled. They have no input in, uh, into how we teach or what we teach or anything like that. If we step outside of what the Southern Baptists uh, hold as being uh, true and right, all they can do is disfellowship us from the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. And that's it. And we just go on living like we did. The problem with some of the recommendations and things that are being said about how to handle it is giving a lot more power to the Southern Baptist Convention and saying we need to make lists and we need to do all kinds of stuff. We don't have time to get into that this morning. And as you can imagine, that has caused much discussion and there is much, much, much disagreement about what the Southern Baptist Convention should do about this report. How do we handle it? How do we protect people within the churches and stuff like that? And uh, uh, that, is, that discussion and all the stuff that went around that is uh, too, too much to go over or even really begin to get into this morning. And uh, if you want to get with me and talk through that, I would be more than welcome to do that with you. But what I want to do right now is I want to make sure that everybody here because this is such a prominent thing in the Southern Baptist Convention right now, I want everybody here to understand maybe some broad stroke things about how to handle sexual abuse in the church biblically. All right? And, and we need to understand this because there's going to be all kinds of stuff thrown around. There's going to be all kinds of stuff uh, saying that we should do or shouldn't do. And all of, a lot of these decisions are going to be made at next year's convention. And so we as a church who are going to have messengers there, we need to make sure that we are really, really understanding about what the Bible says, how, what is the Bible, you know, in a, in a broad stroke way, to handle this so that when our people go, they understand how to vote and what they're voting for, not just by their feelings. And this is such a hard, hard issue that emotions and feelings are, are rampant, okay, because people are just reacting instead of just sitting back and saying, Let's look at this from God's word. Let's be kind in our speech. Let's be gentle in our speech. And let's handle the problem in an appropriate way. And it's really hard in this type of situation to back off from the emotions, um, especially if, if you were uh, involved in something like that. 
So what I want you to understand and what we're going to look at, and there are no notes today. Uh, there are, are no uh, slides or anything like that. The reason being is because this is just going to be very general and, there, and there's just no way to cover everything. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles now because I'm going to give you page numbers to go and look at some things as I go through a couple of things to help us uh, maybe build a, a, just a, a basic framework on how Sardis Baptist Church would handle uh, sexual abuse if it was to be here in our church. And I really, really pray and hope that it never, ever happens. Okay, I really pray, but we live in a sinful world, and we can't, that can't be guaranteed. So, first thing we need to understand is God has, uh, God's word reveals, okay, that God has established three separate spheres of authority. And what I mean by that, just think of uh, three separate balls. I was going to get balls, but I uh, didn't have three of them uh, that I could use. Three separate balls at each one is a sphere of authority. And the very first sphere of authority that God, this is generally in God's word, all right, is the family. That is the first sphere of authority. And so let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It should not surprise many of us that this is where the, the idea of the family begins. And let's start at... Uh, it's on page 3 of your, uh, the Pew Bible, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had uh, formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up, in, in plate, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. So what we have here is the beginning of the family, and what we need to understand here is we're talking about uh, spheres of authority. God has made man, and God is going to make man have authority. Okay, in the family. And we're going to look at the husband is the main uh, authority, but who else also has authority in the home? The wife, because she is his what? Helpmeet. Together they form, okay, the authority figure or the authority figures within the family. And we see that if you'll turn over to 1 Corinthians 11, 3, we're all, all the way over, uh, page 1,218, 1,218, 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, excuse me, verse 3, starting in verse 2. Now I commend you because you remembered me in, every, in everything and maintained the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of the, every man is Christ and the head of the wife is her husband. And what we see here, in, and you can write this passage down, we're not going to look at it. Uh, and also in Ephesians 5.23, we see that the man is the head within the family. He is the authority figure, the leader in the family. And then we see, so we understand the husband and wife work together. The man is ultimately the head leader. And then we also see in Ephesians chapter 6, 1, look over uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 6, 1, uh, page 1,200, 1,245. Now we come to the next set of folks within a family. Again, this is just broad strokes. 
Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. And so again, now we have the authority structure. Husband and wife, husband is the leader. Wife is his helper, is a secondary leader or a, 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 as leading the family. And then we have the children who are supposed to do what? All the kids answer. What are the kids supposed to do? I did not hear that from the Come on. Every child who is living at home needs to say, what are you supposed to do from, by God's command here? You guys are weak. This is God's command to you. This is your job. Okay, so we see with the family. And in this thing, who is in charge of this family? The, hu- the husband, the father. It is a separate, uh, can any other authority or should any other authority try to come in and tell the family how they are supposed to be configured or how they're supposed to run? No. That is the first sphere of authority. The family. The second sphere of authority is the church. It's the church. In the first sphere, who makes judgments about what should be done and how the family should go? Who makes that within the family? The husband and the wife working in tandem together, correct? In the church, the church is the next sphere of authority. And what we need to understand is the church is or has authority. And that is something, authority means that we're going to have to make judgments about things going on in the church, correct? We're going to have to make judgments about where the church should go. We're going to make judgments about who is walking where they should be and where they're not. And there is a misconception within the church that we are not supposed to judge each other. But can you have authority and not be a judge? No, you can't. And we need to understand Okay, that the church is a separate sphere of authority. Can the church go into the family sphere and tell it to do something that God has told it not to be? Can it redesign it? Can it uh, place, uh, have authority over the family in, in that, that God has given to the family? No, the church can't do that. It's separate. And I want to show you that. Uh, turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Uh, that's on page 1046 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 18. We do have a number of passages, in the, and we just don't have time to go through them, about where it says not to judge each other, and we need to keep those as we look at them in context. But here we see in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, that there is authority within the church. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Who would that one or two others be? Christ followers, people who are probably within your local church, okay, with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to whom? The church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, even to the church, do what? Let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector, which basically means the church should do what? Separate from this person. Who is responsible for making that judgment? The church. There is authority vested in the church by God to make decisions. And we see that, we understand that Paul understood this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. I know we're jumping around. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses page 1,213. I want you to see that Paul agrees with this in a practical way. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you, 
would that include sexual abuse? Even though that's not the case here, but he's, he's a general. And the kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And are you arrogant? Ought you not have rather mourned? Let him who has done this be removed from you, from among you. For though, I am, for though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, and if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are delivered to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What did Paul expect the church to do with sexual immorality in the church? Handle it. And if it's not going to be handled according like Matthew 18, you are to do what? Separate. So the church has been given authority by God to make sure that the members and the people in that church are following what God wants, are growing in their faithfulness, and there is authority vested in the church to judge between in issues. And so now we have, that's the second sphere of authority. We have the family sphere, we have the church sphere. And they are, are they both authoritative in God's mind? Absolutely. Are we to change those? Absolutely not. But there's one more sphere, all right? And everybody turn to Romans chapter 13, and which is on page 1,206. Let every person, who would that include? Does that include everybody here? Okay. Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is, a God, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What is the sphere of authority here? Civil authority. God has set up governments to do what? Govern. And we are to do what within that government? Submit to obey. Amen? <laughs> you are all as weak as the kids were. <laughs> Amen? I mean, that's, that's just, that's where it sits. And it, it even goes so far that that. Uh, God says here through Paul that the government has the authority of the sword, which even means, uh, as if we were to look at it, uh, very serious consequences for disobeying the laws and the authority of the government. And so we have a third sphere, right? So the three spheres are family, okay, given authority by God, the church given authority by God, and the civil government. And what we often find, especially in the situation of sexual abuse, and we're going to mainly talk about the church and the civil government, is that the church tries to go over, or the civil government, or what we would call the magistrate, okay, the church tries to usurp some of the authority of what the civil government or the magistrate has. The church decides what needs to happen. And what we need to understand is that the church and the civil government each have their own part in the taking care of sexual abuse. The church has, the, the, uh, has give, been given the authority by God to handle the sin issue. Amen? Everybody agree with that? Is there sexual immorality? Who is supposed to handle that within the church? All of us. 
We have the authority to do that, and nobody can take that away from us. That would mean uh, Matthew 18, approaching this person, uh, determining what is happening and what is not happening. It means that we may have to uh, help protect the victim if there is one, all right? And we need, to, we need to be very cautious, and we need to t- handle that within the church, and we need to tell people this is sin before God, and we need to handle that in a way that brings honor and glory to God, even if we have to remove them from church membership, amen? Is the church supposed to do anything else? No. The church handles the spiritual side of it. Who handles the criminal side of it? The government. And that's sometimes where we see the church trying to do it because the church says, uh, we don't want to uh, deal with, and this is what happened in the, in the Southern Baptist Church, we don't want to deal with this pastor, we don't want to uh, embarrass him, and so all we're going to do is what? We're going to fire him, we're going to remove him from his office or leadership if it's not the pastor, and we're just going to kind of let it go because that's what's good for the, the unity of the church. We don't need to bring this out in the open, we don't want anybody to be embarrassed. But what happens to that man? He's free to go where? To another church. He's free to go to another uh, school. He's free to go wherever. And that is some of the things that had happened in the Southern Baptist Convention. But what should the church do if the church finds out that there may be phys- uh, uh, sexual abuse? We need to handle it spiritually, but who also do we contact? The civil government, and we need to let the magistrates handle that criminal part of this. Are they going to do their own investigation? Yes, they are. And we need to do that. We need to hand them over, or not necessarily hand them over, but we need to call the the magistrate, the civil authorities, and we need to say there has been an accusation of sexual abuse, and we are handling it within the, here's what we're doing, within the, the bounds of what God has asked us to do. You need to handle the criminal part of this. Is that going to be difficult, especially if it's somebody that you love in your church? Especially if it's a leader, a deacon, a pastor within the church. Is that going to be difficult? Uh, Kathy and I know of a church uh, where the, the, the pastor was involved in some sexual immorality. We actually attended this church uh, at times. It was one that my parents used, uh, went to. And uh, the pastor was, was involved in sexual immorality. And because of that situation, it wasn't sexual abuse, fortunately, but it was still sexual immorality. They just, let, they just basically told the pastor, you need to resign and you need to leave. All right? And he left and there was nothing. Was that the right thing to do? No. It should have been brought before the church. It should have been uh, walking alongside this pastor, not to crack him over the head, but to walk alongside him and say, hey, this is not right in your life. We as a church need to handle this, and we want to walk with you and help you get over this and to, to stop what God doesn't want you to do. But the Southern Baptist Convention has found, okay, that over the last 20 years, because that's the, the amount of time that the report handled, is that that's not always been happening. Now, I need to understand that doesn't mean it's rampant throughout the whole Southern Baptist Convention. It has happened, and it is there. We're not denying that. But we have to understand something, okay? There are a lot of churches who have handled it in the right and proper way. Amen? There are churches who have done this. There are churches who have walked alongside and have done it in God's planned way and i would hope and pray that if this ever rears its head in our church that we would handle it in the right way 
And as you hear and as you read what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention about this sexual abuse support report, you need to keep in context as you're reading this and ask yourself, do the recommendations that the SBC is putting forward about what we should do in the 2023 uh, annual conference or the annual meeting, is, does this line up with that idea or, or are they trying to take too much onto the church or, or what is going on? We need to have this type of biblical understanding, amen? So that the people who go and we as a church can, can know where and what we say. And this is really, really difficult. And it's not something that I want to be here and, and preach in front of you. And, and this is we, it's such broad strokes that we can't even uh, delve into it because of the time. But God does help us understand how to handle every situation that we encounter in life. Amen? We just need to be what? Strong enough and wise enough to do it. And so, I, again, I hope we never have to deal with this, but I want you to know that uh, as pastor of this church, that we will handle it to the best of our ability in the way that God has outlined and keeping the severe spheres of authority in their proper place. And if that means that we have to bring the civil authorities in, we will. For anybody here, whether it's a teacher in a, in a, in a Sunday school class with, with kids, and, and uh, there are things that we do just to, to help you be assured, uh, we, all, we have background checks that we do and everything like that on, on our, our, our staff and stuff like that. So there are things that we do to help people, to help make sure that we don't put somebody in there that we shouldn't. All right, and we're really cautious about this. And we try as much as possible in a small church to have two people in the class, two adults in the class at all times. So that it can't be just one um, teacher in there. And so we do things, but again, hopefully we'll never have to encounter this. So that is something that was a very, very large topic. It is not going away soon. It's not going to go away in the next couple of years. This is going to be far-reaching, and there's going to be discussion and debate about this for excuse me, a number of years to come. And we need to be ready as a Southern Baptist church to speak wisely about it when we're talking to others. So there was another main topic of discussion. Uh, there were uh, other ones, but this is just one that... that uh, was a surprise uh, to me as I have been in the Southern Baptist uh, for, for a number of years, and this was actually brought to the national level. Uh, that is the definition of what is a pastor. <laughs> How many of you are going like, what? All right, because in, in, in normal Southern Baptist, uh, and as part of the, the Southern Baptist uh, faith and message, did I get that right? Yeah, I did. I always get that title. That a, a pastor, a, a person holding the position of a pastor in a church, must be a man, biblically. And there, are, there is a, a, a contingent of folks out there who disagree with that, and it's becoming more and more of an issue to the point where they're saying this, this faith, the Baptist faith and message does not clearly state it, even though it says it can only be a man. And they're actually having to go back and uh, and in 2023, next year's conference, they're actually going to have uh, a resolution where it says, what really is a pastor in more detail? Now, th that is really, really important. And that is something that the world does not like whatsoever. And I'm going to, I, I'm setting you up because we're not going to talk about, at, about it at all this morning. Because we're talking about this on Wednesday nights. Over the next number of Wednesday nights, we are going to talk about what is a pastor 
What kind of man should he be? And what kind of person are we looking for when Pastor Adam leaves us? Is that important? Because I want you to understand something. If you're a member of Sardis Baptist Church, raise your hand, please. With that raised hand, you just said, I am taking responsibility to be informed enough to make a proper vote on who is going to become our next pastor. I don't get to select the pastor. The deacons don't get to select the pastor. The pulpit committee does not get to select the pastor. Who ultimately says yes or no on anybody who is going to replace Pastor Adam? You do. It's on your shoulders and mine because I'm part of the congregation and I will have one vote just like everybody else in here. And we need to understand what does that mean? Some people say, I'm looking for a, a young pastor. Is, that a, is there a problem with that? Younger than Adam, right? Because he's getting really old now. All right. What some people are saying, I, we really need the, the youth and the vitality, especially for our youth, if he's going to work with our youth, for a young pastor. And what becomes a, a major thing for their focus in, in looking for a pastor? Age. The problem with that is, can you have a young man who is on fire for the Lord who really doesn't have good theology? Absolutely. Who doesn't have the character to be an elder? Can we have that? Okay, can we have an older man who would qualify, has all kinds of experience and, and brings a lot of stuff? Can they be theologically wrong? Yeah. And can they uh, be leading our youth or leading as a pastor wrongly within the church? Yes. But we have, we're not looking for old or young. We are looking for a man that meets the biblical qualifications of what a pastor is. We need to know that, all of us, not just me, not just the deacons, we need, all need to take the responsibility to know what kind of man do we want to come in here and replace Pastor Adam, even though we don't want him to leave. There was only one amen on that. All right? And, and the thing is, has Pastor Adam set the bar very, very high? Yes, he has. And here's one thing that we have to be careful of when we're looking for this. We're looking for the man the Bible describes. We are not looking for Pastor Adam, version 2. Because can that get in the way? Absolutely. And so that's what, when it says the Southern Baptists are having a struggle with who is a pastor and what is a pastor, well, we're going to make sure that nobody in this congregation, nobody that is in membership at Sardis Baptist Church has that issue because over the next number of weeks, we are going to take a really, really close look on Wednesday nights on what a pastor is. And I would highly, highly recommend that you try to be here every time you possibly can because we're all in this together and we all have responsibility to know what the Bible says about a man who is going to be our next pastor. Amen? As I close, I want you to understand something. There are 47,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States representing 14 million people. Just let your mind grasp those numbers. At this last convention there were only a little over 8,000 people attending and it only represented about 3,500 churches. Making the decisions, making the voting of everything that goes on within those 14 million people and the 47,000 churches. That needs to change. We need to, have a, we need to be responsible as a Southern Baptist church to go and have our voice heard, to have our votes heard, and we need to have uh, 
if possible, more than just two people going, but at least have some type of voice there. And we need to encourage other Southern Baptist churches in our area to let to come and to join us in that. Because as far as I know, in our local area here, I was the only one, and Kathy were the only ones that were represented. There were some other uh, Southern South Carolina pastors, but they're not in our local area here. And so uh, what I'm planning to do and what I've already been doing is I am meeting with those pastors because we do get together and I'm going to encourage every one of them to start planning right now so that we can all go down to New Orleans next year and be part of what uh, the Southern Baptists say should happen with the sexual abuse issue, <clears throat> how the Southern Baptists should define what a pastor is, and of course there's going to be a number of other things on the list. But we need to go down and we need to have our area represented because it's important and that's why i'm taking the time to give this report this morning it's not just because you sent me and we need to have a report it's because it's important that we know where we stand and what we stand for we want our votes to count the southern baptists do have some significant issues and it will be a while before they're all worked out and some of those are very very large and very very sad issues but i want to close with this I want to close with this. Kathy and I came face to face with these difficulties. We listened to it be talked about over and over. However, we also came face to face with thousands of dedicated Christ followers who love God and wanted nothing more than to bring glory to God. We were with 8,000 people and a majority of them love God just like we do. Not everybody was on the same page. Not everybody is as informed as they need to be. But they love God. And we got to worship with them. <clears throat> 8,000 people in this huge, huge room. I've never been to a, a larger convention of, of, of people, okay, uh, than this. And in this huge room, standing up twice a day or three times a day? Two or three times a day, worshiping God at the, with everything they have. It was wonderful. There is a lot of stuff going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I don't know where it's all going to lead. But there's also some really, really good things going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. There were some stances taken and resolutions and stuff which we just don't have time to go through that were godly and that were right on target. And we have people there who care for God. And I want to make sure that you know that. And one of the greatest times, one of the greatest moments of that time that shows us just how important the Southern Baptist Convention is, the Southern Baptist Convention presented 52 new missionaries that are getting ready to go out into the field. Amen? And you know what was really unique about that? Is by far the majority of those people had to stand behind screens. Shadowed screens. Because by far, the majority of those 52, most of them were couples and most of them had families, are going to places where they could be killed and, and, and it's dangerous for them to present the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're going into the Mideast, they're going into places that uh, uh, they just don't want Christians. And these people are committing their lives to going there and ministering and presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the Southern Baptist Convention, those two, 52 people would not be going out in the same way. And those places would not be reached in the same way with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I don't want you walking out of here this morning going, oh man, we're Southern Baptists and we really have all these issues. We do. 
Let's just be up front. There are issues, but we also have a lot of good stuff that's going on, and we're going to have a whole lot of people hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ because the Southern Baptists exist. And we need to pray for them. And so here's your assignment as we close. What can you do over the next year? Let's don't let this just be tonight and we forget about it till we send you know, a week before everybody else. Here's what we can do. Pray for Bart Barber, the new president of the Southern Baptist Church, uh, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. Pray for Bart Barber. He is going to have a ton of stuff on his plate as he deals and leads the Southern Baptist Convention through all of this stuff that's going on, some of it that we talked about today. Pray for him, for wisdom and for discernment. Pray for wisdom as Sardis uh, Southern Baptist Convention deals with so many issues both within and without the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff that's being misreported in the, in the media and stuff. We need to handle this in the right and proper way. We need to pray for the Southern Baptist Convention there. Pray that our area SBC churches would send a number of people to let our voice be heard next year in 2023, not just Sardis Baptist Church. And pray that no matter what happens in the SBC, Sardis Baptist Church will stand firm in its biblical convictions no matter what. Because even though we are a part of the SBC, we are children of God, saved by faith in Jesus Christ above everything. And we need to make sure that we stand there first and foremost. We want to be identified as God's children before we're ever identified as being Southern Baptists. And so there's issues, there's some difficulties, but there's also some really good things. And we need to be responsible as a Southern Baptist church to take part and let our voice be heard. Amen. Thank you for sending Kathy and I. Thank you for allowing me to be trained and understand more what the Southern Baptists stand for and what they are and how this all works. And I hope and pray that uh, <clears throat> other people here would, would want to go and take part in this and become informed like Kathy and I did this year. And fortunately, it will not be in Anaheim, California. All right? At least we'll be a little bit closer and it's not Anaheim. Let's Close in prayer, please. Just pray right now for some of the things that I presented to you. Let's lift up our convention. Let's lift up Bart Barber. Uh, let's lift up the people who are having to deal with these, this, this sexual abuse report. Let's lift these people up in some private prayer just for a minute. Bring them before the, foot of, the feet of the Lord. Father, we humbly bow before you this morning, thankful for our salvation, Thank you, thanking you for the grace and the mercy that you have had towards each one of us who claims Jesus Christ as our Savior. Lord God, Satan in the world does not want a clear message going out about Jesus Christ. Satan wants to destroy associations and denominations and conventions that preach a clear gospel because Lord God they want the world to be he wants the world to be blind Lord God the Southern Baptist Convention is not perfect and we are not the the best Christians in the world but we are people who love you we are people who have uh, volunteered to associate with one another uh, to uh, be able to do things that we could not do as individual churches. Lord, I ask that you would protect the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a lot of things on the horizon that could 
literally destroy the convention. And Father, that would affect so many missionaries that are in the, all parts of the world. And Father, we ask that you would not let that happen. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment as we uh, deal with in our own church um, what it means to be a Southern Baptist and how that relates to the, the Bible. And Lord, help us to be wise in that. Father God, help us to be strong. Help us to be a light for our community. And Father, I pray also that we would be able to step out and that we would be able to help other churches in our area understand the importance of letting their voice be heard. And Father, we do pray for, again, Bart Barber. Lord, I would not want to be in his position and all the scrutiny he is going to have and still having to pastor his church at the same time. Lord, give him wisdom and discernment. Give him the strength to deal with everything he has coming his way. And also with the executive committee and others who um, work with him and uh, work for him. And Lord God, I pray for all the victims that this report showed that were sexually abused. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would um, heal them, Lord God. And I pray for uh, those, the perpetrators who, who did it, Father, that you would cause them to bow their knees to you in humble confession, asking for forgiveness. And Lord God, I pray more than anything that as we move through this, your name would be glorified and that the Southern Baptist Convention wouldn't do anything to detract from that. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.